1: That's right, you're listening to MoneyFM 89.3 and it's now time for Market View where we take a look at how the Singapore stock market is likely to close for the day, the biggest movers, sectors and companies to watch. But as always, a quick recap of how we started. Well, Singapore shares opened weaker today following overnight losses on global markets. In early trade, the Straits Times Index was down 0.1% to 3,080 points after some 19.5 million securities changed hands in the broader market. Now, Off to the numbers that I have on my screen, the closing numbers are still firming up, but the STI is down 0.28% at 3,075 points. In terms of value turnover, we are looking at $727 million. Gainers, trailed losers, 260 versus 313. Top 5 movers by value, we have DBS, Singtel, EOB, OCBC, and SIA. And heavily traded securities included C-TRIM, SMI Vantage and Anaco Energy. Now, meanwhile, international headlines are in focus today with investors mulling a private sector survey which showed China's services activity expanded at a quicker pace in November. Also in focus today, Nvidia CEO Jensen Huang's comments that the firm will build a network of semiconductor plants in Japan. And joining me on the line is Ken Shi, Head of Wealth Management, Greater China at Saxo Markets. Ken, welcome.
0: Hi, how are you doing?
1: Doing good, and uh, I hope the same for you as well. And let's start with how stock markets have performed so far today. Ken, major bosses in Asia fell earlier, tracking Wall Street movements. And that says analysts warn that November's rally, filled by bets of interest rate cuts, may have gone too far. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think overall, like November has really been uh, one for the record books, I think we yeah. say, can say for U.S. stocks. Um, I mean, and particularly when we look at between August and October, where we saw U.S. stocks almost drop close to 9%, but that has pretty much been completely erased in November alone. I mean, when we look at history, this was the sixth strongest returning months for U.S. stocks in the past 20 years. Um, now, a lot of this has really been on the back of mm. strong earnings data, particularly NVIDIA that you kind of touched on, um, a decline in the 10-year yield. Um, and also, I think a big storyline is about uh, the Fed starting, well, these people are anticipating the Fed are starting to cut rates uh, going into next year, and that's already being priced in the market. So when we look at the Fed rate monitor, I think right now is anticipating like a 100 basis points, a 1% uh, point cut yeah. uh, in 2024 um, and happening as early as, um, you know, March of 2024. But I think, um, you know, one thing that we've learned in the past, I would say, year or two looking at market expectations is uh, people have a tendency to be on the up optimistic side so although i think here at saxo so we are kind of leaning towards the first half rate cut i think 100 basis points seems a little bit on the high side, um, and I think maybe one thing I just want to remind investors is, you know, with this kind of sudden reversal in the expectation of the rate hikes kind of becoming rate cuts, mm-hmm. it's probably a good time really to start looking at bonds um, at peak rates. Yeah. Um, I think something that's something that we've seen even at our, our trading volume here in uh, for bond trading for, uh, for Saxo Hong Kong, I think has almost doubled in the past uh, from the beginning of this year to recently in November, uh, and with a lot of the trading happening in October and November of this year, and so for a lot of clients who are still buying kind of like short term treasuries, right, like three to six months yielding 5.4%, maybe one thing they can consider is start increasing the duration a little bit, maybe even looking at the two year, mm-hmm. um, I think yielding about 4.6%. And, you know, if there is a rate cut next year, even in the 50 to 100 basis point type range, uh, that could easily provide another three to 6% uplift in terms of the carry. So I think this actually really makes quite a lot of sense for our investors to look into.
1: Hmm, right. And uh, Ken, I have two parts to this. Uh, one is that you talked about looking at bonds at peak rates. Are we at the peak now? That's number one. And number two, how far have uh, the stock movements and the region filtered down to the STI today?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think I can't say for certain that we're at yeah. peak rates, but I think we're pretty, we're Pretty close, I would mm. say, at this point. Um, I mean, unless we have some unforeseen circumstances, I think we have pretty much reached peak rates. Um, and then I think, you know, with the STI, I think what you kind of alluded to earlier is I think a lot of it is more about regional sentiment. I mean, yeah. clearly, you know, I think even though we have a lot of positive news coming out of China, uh, when we look across the region, uh, you know, today, whether it's the STI, whether it's a CSI in China or yeah. the Hang Sa Index in Hong Kong, it's a sea of red right now. I mean, <laughs> not, a, not a lot, not a lot, but. Everyone's down like one or two percent today, yeah. and I think that really kind of um uh kind of highlights the mood right now in the market, um which is very, very strong uh, November. but you know, I think things are starting to wind down to December a little bit as well.
1: Just saw a headline that's out of just a while ago, about how Nikkei posed a sharpest drop in about six weeks. So really a lot of things going on. But I know you focus mainly on Greater China Markets, Ken, and let's zoom in on that. Uh, I do want to talk about China because investors keeping their eyes on this private sector survey, which is the Caixin S&P Global Services Purchasing Managers Index, PMI. It rose to a three-month high of 51.5 points in November. How would you interpret this piece of information along with the private sector manufacturing PMI and also the official manufacturing PMI where we saw some discrepancies due to the composition of the surveys?
0: Yeah, I think for someone that looks at the market from a fundamental perspective, I think this is still a positive, right? Again, uh, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, when we look at the Hang Seng Index and the CSI 300 today down 2%, I think that's a pretty clear indication that uh, the news, unfortunately, did not Mm. stir up much I guess, amongst local investors, Um, and I think, but, you know, my personal stance is I'm still quite cautiously, I would say, open-minded, mainly uh, in regards to Hong Kong and Chinese equities, mainly because, you know, when I'm thinking about a combination of one, uh, when we look at a lot of uh, foreign fund positioning, uh, the positioning in, in, for China as a region is extremely low. I think for a lot of the uh, global emerging market funds, in the first time nine months, they've reduced uh, their China exposure by 2 to 3%, which is the most out of any region. So if somehow, let's say, things were to come back, I, I think this could come back in a hurry. And also, I mean, although not very indicative, you know, valuations are ridiculously low at this point. I think Hang Seng Index is at eight times, and uh, CSI 300 is about 10 times for PE. Um, I mean, the big... A question mark in everyone's mind I would say is clearly the real estate sector yeah um, you know last week we heard some I would say good news right we could say it like mm-hmm. that way um, about country garden obviously its shares and bonds kind of jumped uh, mainly the fact that they you know potentially may make it onto a list of firms eligible financing support by the Chinese government um, but I think you know the implementation is still not clear so there's a lot of uh, I think good news coming out of mainland China but in terms of how exactly this will help the sector or, or areas that where we see challenges I think it's still not clear. And I think a lot of investors are kind of waiting for, I would say, more clear, more clarity in terms of what's going on. And I think looking ahead, most people would probably talk about the third plenum. Hmm. Uh, which is kind of, you know, with China being a very policy-driven economy, that's what we're looking at. But, you know, recently there's also news that about it being delayed. And so I think this adds further uncertainty into the market. But, um, I mean, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm, at this point, not that negative, to be very honest.
1: Right. And and talk about delays, right, Evergrande liquidation. I recall we were just chatting off air. The hearing has been pushed back to January. So lots of uncertainties down the road, I guess. Hmm. And further away, Ken, let's take a look at NVIDIA CEO, Jensen Huang said the firm will build a network of semiconductor plants in Japan in partnership with uh, Japan's companies to meet the demand for AI-powering graphic chips. As we know, Japan is on the charm offensive to attract AI startups and investments of late. How would you read into the latest signal by NVIDIA, though?
0: Um, I I think although the timing of this news and maybe establishing a country-level partnership is a bit of a surprise even to me, uh, but I think choosing Japan as an NVIDIA's partner is not a major surprise. Mm. Um, I think back in July, you know, we at Saxo were already communicating to clients that really Japan being a history in the technology research and innovation field, that it really had quite a lot of potential to fill the gaps, particularly within the global semiconductor space. Um, If we think about uh, a lot of these companies de-risk To move their operations away from China and Taiwan. Um, And I think, you know, when you think about the global supply chain for semiconductors, it really made a lot of sense for Japan to be part of that story. And, you know, for a lot of your listeners, I think it's important to highlight that, you know, this is not the first foreign semiconductor name that Japan yeah. is working with. I think um you know back in August we already heard about TSMC and obviously mm-hmm. they're building plants in southern Japan. Um and it's very clear when we look at the Japanese government that its chip strategy that they're looking to overhaul the chip strategy to produced more domestically produced semiconductors i think to three times the, the overall growth in that space so we think for a lot of investors if they think about japanese stocks a lot of 60 uh, percent of the companies there right now have high levels of cash which gives them a lot of room for investment into let's say ai related research development or uh, beyond that and also low valuation so i think The recent resurgence within AI, uh, this type of partnership that we're hearing with NVIDIA, Mm -hmm. I think really has strengthened the long-term case uh, for investors to think about more exposure into Japanese stocks.
1: Right. And I have about two minutes to go and two questions, uh, Ken. Sure. I, I really want to pose them to you. Um, I know you've been keeping an eye on markets in the US, so let's talk a little bit about Starbucks. Shares suffered a record run of losses amid concerns about sales trend cooling in recent weeks. Now, how far do they reflect the tightening of retail spending, consumer spending amid those higher borrowing costs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's something that I think will be tough for Starbucks to overcome in the short yeah. term. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, borrowing costs are extremely high, but also logistics costs has been extremely high during these COVID years. So mm. they're being hit twice, I think, on, on the cost front. Um, And unless they find some new, complete new growth channel, I I think this will be quite challenging for for Starbucks. Um, And so I think that's something to keep in mind, uh, mainly because even though the U.S. has, I would say, kind of weathered the storm in terms of a lot of us in the field talking about how the U.S. economy might, you know, kind of hit a bit of a slow point. But it's really fared a lot better than we anticipated. But I think individually for companies like Starbucks, I think that's something to keep an eye on. And maybe for investors to just be a bit careful because uh, even when we look at a lot of tech companies, this high borrowing cost is going to eat into everyone's bottom line.
1: Right. And before we go, Kent, very important here. We talked about gold on the show yesterday. And you believe that despite hitting a fresh record high, there is a further upside to gold. Uh, What is the target price you're looking at?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, gold kind of pulled back a little bit today, uh, I think about to 2048, somewhere in that range, I think was about it exceeded like uh, 2100, and I want to say 30 yesterday. Um, but I think the the target that we're looking mm-hmm. at, immediate target is 2070. Right. Uh, and the target after that probably is about uh, 2130. I mean, again, I think, you know, um, this has been the story that I know people talk about, but mm-hmm. their focus is so much on the equity markets that, you know, we haven't, I think gold is up uh, 6 or 7% in the past, uh, you know, like two months. And so that's something that I think a lot of investors should uh, keep an eye on, both from a hedging perspective, but also from a capital appreciation perspective. Right. Um, and I think, you know, when looking ahead, I actually anticipate that gold prices may even see higher than the level of 2130. So mm-hmm. that's something to definitely keep your eye on.
1: Right, lots to watch. That was Ken Shi, head of wealth management, Greater China at Sexo Markets. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.